Thank you, Katie. Let's just be still. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words this morning and in our hearts and minds and that you will do your heavenly work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've reached the point at last when I have one final opportunity to share with you my thoughts on God's word. As we had a few days away in Pembrokeshire over last weekend, uh, during many of my walks with Ella, I can reassure you I did actually spend some time with Claire and with Esther as well, but uh, it it tends to sort of divvy up and and, and Claire Claire tends to go with Esther and I tend to go with Ella Ella a bit more. And I had some some really good walks with Ella uh, through the fields, on the beaches, along the clifftops, through occasional sun, frequent rain and constant wind. But my thoughts often drifted towards what I might say to all of you today. What passages might I choose to be most appropriate on a morning of mixed emotions? What passage might I choose, so to speak, to leave you all with on my last Sunday here at St. Giles, on our last Sunday? To be honest... The lectionary readings for today were pretty good. We've got a great passage from Romans 5, and then we've got Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman uh, from John's Gospel. But Ellen had spoken a few weeks ago at the All Age about uh, the Samaritan woman. And even if you can never really go wrong with Romans, somehow when I prayed about it, they didn't quite feel right for today. Well, Anyway, the the mists, or at least the the Welsh rain, uh, cleared a bit, and it suddenly seemed very clear to me that I should be almost symmetrical in my choice of scripture for this morning. Almost symmetrical in that, um, not at the moment that uh, I was ordained deacon in 2016, but a year later, uh, on the final morning of our curate's retreat, before we, uh, we were all ordained priests in Southerminster, um, the, uh, the fantastic uh, Reverend Kate Wharton, who's a vicar in Liverpool Diocese, she's a great communicator, great uh, theological um, voice. Uh, she preached to us on the passage from 1 Thessalonians 5, on which I'm going to speak this morning. Those words of St. Paul to the early Christians of Thessalonica spoke to me very powerfully then, back in 2017. When I'd been ordained deacon the previous year, uh, Claire had given me a new Bible, this Bible, a journaling Bible. One in which, um, as you, you may know, a journaling Bible has, has lots of lovely spaces along the side for you to um, make your notes, draw your pictures if you're creative, highlight particular verses, whatever it is um, that floats your boat. Well, it's become very apparent in the four years since Claire gave it to me that writing or drawing in a Bible just isn't something I do. I read it lots, as you'd rather hope I do, um, but writing all over it just doesn't sort of come naturally to me. All of those 
lovely notes columns are bare, apart from three. And one of those three passages of scripture that I have highlighted is this one this morning. Those words that Paul said to the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago very clearly also spoke to me back in 2017, and I sensed God drawing me back to them for this morning as well. Just going to pop that to one side. St. Paul was writing to a community of relatively recent Christians in the Macedonian city of Thessalonica. And his purpose in doing so was to help them persevere in their commitment to loving and supporting one another and to remaining faithful to Jesus. It seems clear from what St. Paul writes that these new Christians were being shamed and they were being harassed by their non-Christian neighbours, trying to undermine their commitment to one another and their new commitment to Christ and draw them back into uh, the mainstream of pagan Roman society, the respectability, if you like, that uh, the individuals would have had in that society by being uh, pagan uh, Roman citizens, not Christians. And when you think of it in those terms, it seems as though the words of St. Paul are addressed to a group of believers whose position relative to the vast majority of the society in which they lived is remarkably similar to the situation in which Christians in the UK find themselves today, in which we are living. Much of our society appears in many respects to be at best indifferent and at worst hostile to the message of the gospel. So it's in this context that I'd like to draw out three key things that St. Paul says to these early believers, which I believe are really, really important to us today. And if you like, are my parting gifts to you all at St. Giles. I should say first, of course, that particularly given what we've just heard from from Sarah and from Lee um, and everything that's going on in our lives at the moment, it's inevitable that much of what I'm going to say uh, this morning will be received by each one of you through lenses of the coronavirus pandemic. It would be wrong for me not to acknowledge that, I think, It would be wrong for me to seek to diminish the importance of doing everything that we can, all the right things to limit the virus's impact. As Christians, we're we're certainly not in some strange way immune from it. But despite all of the impact that it is already having and will continue to have in our lives in the weeks to come, and quite possibly for some of us, um, on people we'll hold very dear as well. I'd like to emphasize, despite all of that, that we are not defined by it. Echoing Lee's words, as followers of Christ, we're defined by our faith in him. We're defined by the great love that our heavenly father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God 
in the words of St. John in his first letter. And we're defined by the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. We're defined by that. So keeping that in mind, on to the first of my three parting thoughts. St. Paul says, We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Claire and Esther and I have been privileged to be part of this uh, wonderful community of St. Giles for the past nearly four years. It's a fantastic and, in its best moments, it's a truly beautiful community here. It's a family in which the love of Jesus is extended between us in practical ways, in prayer, in emotional support, in spiritual nurturing, and all of that then extends outside. It's brilliant to see uh, all of this happen through the friendships that develop here and through the informal groups that grow up organically. Um, I think particularly of the youth and the way in which um, they hang out together just naturally, um, share their faith together in such spontaneous ways. But it's also very special to see the ways in which our more formal structures, our more formal ministries in St. Giles um, the seniors, the home groups, junior church, sunbeams, um, welcome, pastoral care, worship, youth, um, many more. It's great to see how all of these contribute in concrete ways to the spiritual growth of each and every one of you and to our collective spiritual health as a church. But as I'm sure um, you're only too aware, because many very many of you are involved in them. These ministries don't just happen by chance, and they certainly don't happen out of thin air. I've been blessed over my years here, our years here, to work alongside many members of St. Giles, including the paid staff, of course, but covering so many more people who give their time and resources amazingly generously when you consider everything else that's going on in their busy lives. So when St. Paul says to the Thessalonians, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you, uh, and I guess that's mostly Lee and me from the front, I'm afraid, um, he rather liked the idea of admonishing when he was, uh, he was closing the, uh, the first service. He, he, he seemed to sort of have a bit of a relish around that. So be prepared for more admonishment to come, I guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, St. Paul is also saying exactly the same to us today. Human needs and human nature don't really change. Whether you're in a tiny church in, uh, in first century Greece or here in 21st century Britain, to make things happen, and happen well, it takes loving and servant-hearted men and women, and often younger people too, to step out and give of themselves for others. So as St. Paul charges his hearers to do, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. 
Show these people who serve, the ones amongst you, many of you. Show them your gratitude for all that they do, for you and for the others in this church. If what they're doing isn't perfect, holding them in the highest regard in love doesn't mean criticising. It might mean stepping out yourself to, do, um, to see how you could uh, support and help them maybe to make things better. Perhaps especially at a time like this, you know, what Lee was referring to, when um, maybe we're going to have a number of our existing uh, volunteers who, uh, who aren't able to participate because of self-isolation or falling ill or whatever. And I reserve particular exhortation to you all, if I may, for Lee. Now, this sounds like a bit of a love-in this morning, I'm afraid, doesn't it? He's done the... the, But but in all seriousness, um, in a week, I will find out just how challenging and joyful leading a church, or six, can be. Lee, like all of us, doesn't always get it 100% right, 100% of the time. But he leads with a very, very clear love for God, for his word, and for his people, all of you. He leads with wisdom. He leads with integrity. And he leads with a passion for the gospel that is to be treasured. So even if he does admonish you occasionally in the future, my prayer is that you'll all hold him in the highest regard in love in the years to come. Secondly, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What an amazing verse that is. Jesus declares to his followers in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He doesn't declare that a life lived with him will always be easy. But he does declare that following him is one that is is a life that's worthy of rejoicing over and that it's worthy of being thankful for. It's a life in which we're called to be in constant and prayerful communication with our Heavenly Father through him, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit. As St. Paul writes, God wills that this is the case for us. He desires that. He's designed us for that. On Tuesday this last week, we said farewell here to Beryl Davis, who some of you will have known as part of our church family for many years. Beryl was um, about two weeks short of a hundred, bless her. As she was described in the tributes to her in the service, she was formidable and fiercely loving. And her granddaughter, Susan, recounted how Beryl always said one particular phrase, Count your blessings one by one. You'll be surprised 
what the Lord has done. Perhaps particularly at a time like this. Why don't you and I do just that? Why don't you count how many times the Lord has blessed you again and again and again? See how much you're surprised and I'll see how much I'm surprised by what he's done in our lives. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're all receiving, we've received again this morning, the guidance about how important hand washing is to combat viral infection. You may have heard what seems to be the main guideline that the best way to gauge 20 seconds of hand washing is to sing happy birthday twice. I have a much better suggestion for you, not one that I've come up with, that I've seen elsewhere. Pray continually. Turn hand washing into prayer. The Lord's Prayer takes about 20 seconds. When you're washing your hands over the next days and weeks, say the Lord's Prayer as you do that. It gets the timing right and it means you're praying every single time you're doing it. And if you want as well, intercede for someone at that time, someone who's on your heart, someone who's being impacted by the whole situation. Do that too. So first, love those who lead and serve you. Secondly, be joyful. Be prayerful and be thankful. And thirdly, as St. Paul writes at the end of our passage, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. My curacy took a very long time to sort out here, but God had a good plan, and he brought us here to St. Giles. My new post at the Cranmer Group, as Lockton and the other villagers around there, seemed to be a very, very long time in coming too, but it wasn't available earlier than the timing that we took. At times, in both cases, it was really pretty hard for us to see humanly exactly where and how God was at work in it all. Maybe there are things in your lives at the moment where you can't quite work out where God is at work either. And of course, the whole coronavirus situation is extraordinarily difficult right now for so many but we do have God's assurance. In the words of scripture, he is faithful and he does do it. At a time like now, this faithfulness is an extraordinary thing we Christians have, just as Paul and those early Thessalonians, Thessalonian Christians had as well. Much of our world, the press, the social media, perhaps even friends or family or colleagues or neighbours, they seem to be obsessed by a narrative of fear. Think of all those supermarket shelves that we've seen on the news stripped by panic buying. 
But whilst it's absolutely right that we all take good and sensible precautions, we also know that our God is good. And we trust in his providence that sustains and upholds the whole of creation. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. If we don't believe that now, at a time of genuine global trouble, then what's the point of believing it at all? Rather than buy into these narratives of fear, let's stand up. Let's choose God's peace. Let's choose to declare his peace and his love over people and situations. In prayer and in practical ways, the sort of ways Lee referred to. um, Doing people's shopping, helping with stuff if they're having to self-isolate. Practical ways of helping those around us, not just within this community here, but with your neighbours, with your friends. We know and we can co-labour with our Lord, to be part of how this can come about. We know that he is faithful and he will do it. We'd all obviously rather that the epidemic had never happened. Its impact is clearly going to be extremely significant on all our lives. But it's also worth remembering, as we do all we can to protect others and to protect ourselves, that it was the response of the early Christians to the terrible plagues that swept the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries that led to unprecedented expansion in the number of followers of Jesus Christ. When pagans throughout the empire saw how these Christians refused to flee from danger. When they saw that they stayed in the cities to treat and to care, not just for their own Christian friends and circles, but they cared for non-Christians in exactly the same way. This was the best possible witness to the love of God and the love of neighbour to which each one of us is called. This is as true now as it was then. So I encourage each one of us to think how we may best be able to be Christ to those around us at a time that is potentially very difficult indeed, but also a wonderful opportunity to show others how a life following Jesus is one that is lived in Christ to the full. So with that, I leave you with the three thoughts. Love those who lead and serve you. Be joyful, prayerful, and thankful in all circumstances. And running through it all, Know in your hearts that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. May our loving 
and faithful God bless each one of you, those whom you love, and the whole of this wonderful St. Giles family, as much as each one of you have blessed Claire and Esther and me. In Jesus' name.